Okay, so good morning. Apologies for my um, cold, yes. And uh, as, uh, yeah, I'm Andrew and one of the leadership team here. So, as Darren said, we resume our studies in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. I don't know if you've ever been part of a mob. I, don't, I hope you've not been part of a mob. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a mob. Maybe some of you have been part of a mob of you know, football matches or whatever else. I don't know. Um, I won't tell you my limited experiences of that. But if you have ever witnessed a mob... It is a truly uh, frightening uh, experience. Uh, I have once, uh, I have been caught up in one or two football fights in the past as well, but nothing compared to this. So long, long ago, you saw a picture of Africa on the map, uh, map of Africa earlier. And many years ago, Kim and I lived um, on the shores of that Lake Victoria that was stuck there in the middle of Africa. And um, I worked in the office there. And one day, I heard lots of shouting and noise directly outside the office. And I went out, and there was a mob. And they were screaming and shouting. And there was a man in the middle of the mob. And he was being kicked and beaten. And uh, if he tried to stand up, they'd kick him to the floor and... And it, it's, it's, the picture stayed with me. It's truly horrific when you see people acting like that and, and, and the violence. Um, and uh, the guy who I was working with said, you know, and I, I don't think I would have done because I'm too much of a coward, but I felt, you know, almost that I ought to intervene, but as I said, I doubt if I would have done. But the guy I was working with said, do not, do not go near. Do not go near. It is far too dangerous. If you try and intervene, they will you'll probably be the one who's also uh, beaten. And in the end, this poor man, uh, the police arrived, and even then they were still hitting, a bit like this scene, even then they were still trying to hit and beat this guy who they said was a thief and um, deserved, therefore, all that he got. And this is the scene that confronts us, doesn't it, in this passage here. We see, we see a mob in action, and we see them trying literally to, to lynch um, Paul uh, in, this, in this scene uh, in the temple that starts off in the temple um, before they drag him outside. And uh, so what's going on here? Well, we'll very briefly t- look at the story and then we'll try and p- pick some things from it in a sense or we'll go off in one or two directions of things that we can perhaps apply to ourselves. So Paul has come back to Jerusalem. Um, I should say right at the outset that Paul, although he was born in a, a city a long way away, in Tarsus in Turkey, that city is still there, if you want to go and visit it, in southern Turkey, um, he, he knows Jerusalem. We don't know when he came to Jerusalem, but most likely as a teenager. And he came to Jerusalem to study. But studies that were not just studies about head knowledge to get qualifications, but studies that he wanted to apply into his very life. He was a very religious young man. Came from a Jewish family, and he wanted to study as much as he could about the Jewish faith. And he then wanted to apply those things to the way he lived, in particular in following the commandments 
the law of God, which to him was something wonderful and something that was, that was, that was therefore very, very important. So he'd been in Jerusalem for, for quite a few years. We don't, know, we don't know if he was there when Jesus was there. They could have been of a very similar age. We don't exactly know um, when Paul was born. Um, and he doesn't make any direct references to, to Jesus or to his time in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was there. But he could well have been there. And um, you'll recall that, um, that while he was there, he had a very real experience of God. We'll come back to that in a minute. So Paul has, has, has been traveling around, and at the beginning of this passage, he comes back to Jerusalem. And we'll talk about why he's coming back also a little later. And Paul has, Paul has, as he's been on his journeys, as he's brought the gospel to the Gentiles, that's anyone who's not a Jew, as he's brought the news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, of course he's found himself in direct conflict with Jewish people. Some Jews responded to his message, he was a Jew himself, but many did not. And when he comes back to Jerusalem, the, the leaders of the, of the Christian Jewish church, they're still Jews, but they found, that they found the fulfillment that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of their faith. In. So these Jewish Christians uh, are, are worried about how Jews, non-believing Jews, are going to react to Paul. Because they've been saying, they're saying that Paul is teaching that you no longer need to obey the Jewish laws. You no longer need to be circumcised. And this, of course, was causing a great amount of tension and conflict with those people. And so they say to him, what we want you to do is, we've got some people here who are, who are going through these um, uh, purification rites. Why don't you go with them? Why don't you pay for them? Why don't you buy the sacrifices that they need and go into the temple with them? And then when people see that you're following the Jewish law, then maybe, maybe they won't react against you. And so that's what he does. But of course, it all goes horribly wrong. Um, I'm not sure it was a good idea in the first place, but it but, but, but goes terribly wrong. Because when he's in the temple, as Darren was reading to us, um, some of the people, these are not believers, these are just, these are just Jewish men, they see Paul, they, they recognize him from the past, they may have seen him in Ephesus or whatever else, because it talks about them coming from Asia, and they get really, really angry. Um, because they make the assumption, they would have been angry with him anyway, but they make the assumption that he's brought this Ephesian guy, Trophimus, into the temple. And that is something that should not happen. Just, we'll just have a quick uh, deviation here. Not a deviation, but let's just look at, um, let's just look at Herod's temple. Okay, now um, this is a model, and just to make, which is why it looks odd, of course, in terms of the background. Um, but um, there should be a man in there somewhere, but I can't see him now. But um, that is a model of the old Jerusalem. And here's the, uh, here's the slopes that lead up to Jerusalem. It's on a hill. And there right on the, 
on the edge of the city is the Herod's Temple. It was one of the wonders of the world. started being built about 20 years before the birth of Christ by Herod the Great. It wasn't finished, actually fully finished, until AD 64, which meant it wasn't finished for very long before the Romans came and destroyed it in AD 70. But... um, so here, I've got, a little, I've got a thing, haven't I, here? Yeah, so here is the temple itself in the middle, right? And there's a, a courtyard there. And then right at the very back here is what Darren referred to in the reading, as the, or which we referred to this morning, as the Holy of Holies, right? That's right at the back there, the most holy place. And in a sense, the whole temple is, is, one, of, is, one, is one of sort of... Um, Places where people, certain people can go and certain people cannot go. So around the outside here is what's called the court of the Gentiles. So you folks, we, as non-Jews, we'd be able to go into that area, right? And then there's the court where the, where the women could go. That was a, a, a step up, as it were, literally a step up where the women could go, and then there was where the men could go, and there's finally where the priests could go, here. And then right in the back, in that most holy place, is the place where only the high priests could go, once a year, and only if he's bearing the blood of sacrifice. So there's all these different levels. And um, there's another model. Uh, just to show you, it's a model. There's the man who made it. Took him 33,000 hours. That's a lifetime's work, I think, to build that model. Um, but there's this model of the, of the temple, which is meant to be one of the most accurate. Uh, and again, showing the different... Here's the court of the Gentiles, and going through right through towards the, the holy, holy, uh, holy of Holies, which is in the temple itself there, right at the very back. Um, and the court of the Gentiles meant that people could go there, but they dare not go any further. And there, is a, uh, there was barriers around, and on the barriers there were these signs. You know, we have trespassers will be prosecuted. Um, well, it's that sort of sign, only a bit more specific. Uh, it basically said, Gentiles go no further on pain of death. Right, so if you were a Gentile, you could not go from the Gentile court into the next court without risk of your life. And they meant that. And that's why, uh, that's why, I'll switch off now, yeah. That's why um, when they see Paul with, or think they see Paul with this Ephesian Gentile in the temple area, they go, uh, they go berserk. And they intend to kill uh, Paul. They have, and they would have done so. They drag him outside the temple. They shut the temple. They don't want to do it in the temple itself. They drag him outside. They shut the temple gates, and they proceed to beat him. And um, and they would have uh, killed him. I should have showed you right next to the temple, right in the top corner, just outside the temple, is um, Fort Antonio named after Mark Antony, and that was where the Roman uh, garrison was, right next to the temple, that adjoined the temple. And so that you can understand then why the, 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 the news gets to the Roman uh, tribune 
that there is trouble within the temple. I mean, it says the whole of Jerusalem was, was running, was getting involved in this, in this scene. And he, with at least 200 soldiers, because he talks about coming down with two officers, they come running down. There were steps that led right from the barracks, right down into the temple area itself. And these soldiers come running down, and they get involved, and they uh, rescue Paul with some difficulty from the crowd. Why, why is this happening? Why is this all going on? I mean, for, Paul is a follower of Jesus Christ. He sought to live his life in a way that honors God. And he sought to do the things that, and go and do the things that God wanted him to do. Why, why, why is he now involved in this terrible scene with people trying to, to kill him? What's going on? Is God, is, where's God in all of this, you might say? And um, I want to just jump back. I want to have a flashback here. I want to flashback 20 odd years. That, I mean, you'll hear more about this next week when Paul goes on to talk, makes his defense um, on the barrack steps. 22 years before, Paul is also in Jerusalem then, and he is part of a mob scene. Only this time, he's not the victim. He's one of the perpetrators. He's a guy in his early 30s, about, we think. And he's trying to have somebody killed, somebody lynched. And we know who that was, don't we? We read about it in Acts chapter 7. That was Stephen. And Paul wants Stephen to be executed and done away with. Because as far as he's concerned, Stephen is a blasphemer. Stephen believes along with others in Jerusalem, that Jesus was the Messiah. As far as Paul was concerned, Jesus was a blasphemer because Paul could not believe that this poor rabbi could be God's chosen Messiah. It was completely contradictory to all that he believed. And therefore, if he was in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus's Uh, arrest, Paul would have been one of those shouting for his death, shouting that he'd be crucified. He'd want him done away with. And so when Stephen also talks about Jesus the Messiah and that uh, that they have crucified him but it has been raised from the dead, Paul is part of that crowd that tries to lynch Stephen. Well, they do. They drag him outside the city and they stone him to death. And Paul is 100% behind doing that. And and then as a result of that, the believers are scattered across, out of Jerusalem, into into the then wider world. It's Paul who's determined to go after them. And he, that's, why, that's why, of course, he's on the road um, to Damascus. Um, he is, intends to persecute Christians to their death. And that's where he meets, isn't it, the Lord Jesus Christ on that road. He meets Jesus, the bright light, 
the voice that says, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. And Paul is given that specific task of taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. And that becomes the focus of his life. And that's what we, when we were looking at Acts, the earlier chapters, a few weeks back, that, a lot of that was to do with Paul's life, wasn't it? Paul taking the gospel into Asia and then into Europe. You see, God has a plan and purpose for Paul's life. Paul's life is to form part of God's purposes. Does God have a purpose for our life? Our lives? In some ways, our life meant to be connected to God's purposes. Or is that just for the likes of Paul? Now, we know Paul had a very special task. But does that mean that that it's just for those sort of people? Is this just for the missionaries like we've been talking about this morning? Are they the ones that God has a real purpose for and the rest of us, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Or actually, are all of us meant to be part of God's purposes? Does God want all of us to have that part, that place within his great big plans? So Paul comes back to Jerusalem. Why is Paul coming back to Jerusalem? Anybody remember? Apart from my wife, how do you know? Is that because you've been reading my sermon notes? Okay, why is he coming back to Jerusalem then? He's taking money. Where is the money coming from? Come on, let's wake you up so that you don't just have to listen to me. Where is the money coming from? Where? The Gentiles. Whereabouts? I can't hear you. I've got my hearing. I've lost my hearing aid, so I'm completely stuffed now. I don't know why I'm asking questions because I can't hear the answers. (laughs) Completely nonsense. Okay, yeah, the Gentiles. I'm sure some of you have answered this. So the Gentiles in Asia and in Greece, what we call Greece now, they are giving money for the believers in Jerusalem, because the believers in Jerusalem are, are facing times of real poverty. We don't know if that's because of the famines, or because of the persecutions, or maybe it's because of both. But Paul has been involved in, in raising money from these Gentiles to take to the Jewish believers in, in Jerusalem. And that's why he, we read in Acts chapter 20, I think it was verse 4, a few weeks back, about there's a whole group of men that are going with Paul to deliver this gift. Perhaps one is for security. If you're carrying a lot of money, and I guess it was a fair sum, because it had been collected from a, a large number of people, you'd want a few guys with you, I think. But also because he wanted to demonstrate that these things were done, being done properly. And so he's got a selection of men from all across Asia and Greece who are accompanying him on this journey. And that's why he's going, specifically why, he may have had other reasons as well, why he's coming to Jerusalem at the beginning of our passage. And then when he goes there, it says, the elders there greet Paul, and Paul tells them all that God is doing amongst the Gentiles. And that's all the stuff that we've been reading about in previous weeks. How people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
coming to know him as their saviour from all walks of life, from right across these different countries and cultures. The churches have been established and the church is growing and that is really exciting news. And then the elders in Jerusalem also tell Paul about how many thousands of Jews have believed. They're still Jews, but they've believed that Jesus is their Messiah and they've come to faith as well. And that's why he's coming to Jerusalem, is to bring uh, money. So he's bringing money from Gentiles, who initially we know were hated by Jews. Jews had no good words to say about Gentiles. But he's bringing money from Gentiles to this Jewish, these Jewish people. Sacrificial giving to people they didn't know and who previously had looked down on them. Why is this? Well, this is because this is the gospel working out in their hearts and lives, isn't it? That's why they're giving. It's because they themselves have come to know the grace and the goodness of God that they then want to share that, and this is one of the ways that they can do that. And I just think we just need to pause for a, say, a second there and think about ourselves, don't we? One of the real evidences that God is at work in our lives is if he touches our wallets. Yeah? As if it's gone not just from our heads and to our hearts, but it's actually reached, I haven't got mine with me today, but it's actually reached our wallets and our purses. And if it doesn't reach there, then we've got to question how much God is really at work in our hearts. Because we should want to give. Not because we're told to give. Not because some preacher is saying, you must give. We don't even take up any offerings here, as you, as you know. But because we want to give. And we have a responsibility to give to those believers who have far less than we do. And that's partly what we do, exactly what David has been sharing this morning in terms of our support for different people in different places. We have a responsibility to others. In 1 John, we all know John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, etc. What about 1 John 3.16? Do you know that? 1 John 3.16 and 17? Well, it, fen- it ends up with these words. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And those are words that we need to take to heart. And I'm going to put a couple of things more in for the community group notes. And there is a blessing in giving. Let me just share a quick story, a true story. I heard the man tell it whose story it is. A middle-aged man. My age, well now I'm probably past middle age, I don't know. But anyway, has a knock on his door late one night. And standing on the door, there's a little Indian man. And he's carrying a suitcase. And the little Indian man says, Hello, you probably don't recognize me, but you'll know my name. And he tells him his name. He said, because... I am the boy in India that you supported through the child sponsorship scheme when I was a boy. And because of that sponsorship scheme, I was able to go to school. And because I went to school and got an education, 
and did okay. I was able to go to university and I'm qualified uh, in a profession. He said, but more than that, because I was able to go to a Christian school, I heard about Jesus and I came to know him. I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, I told my family. And my family have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And through my family, many people in my village have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, so when I was visiting London, I wanted to find you. I wanted to come and I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for supporting me when I was at school, when you didn't even really know me, although they did write letters and whatever else. I want to thank you for giving to me, an Indian boy. And I want to show you, tell you the blessing that has come because of what you've given. And the suitcase, fuck guys, well, the suitcase contained a set of bone china teacups. They know the English like drinking tea from India. And that's what was in the suitcase. We have a responsibility to give, but there's a real blessing in giving to, giving from our hearts. And that's what Paul is doing is here, moving on very quickly. So Paul comes back to Jerusalem, and he knows it's a risk before he comes. The letter of Romans, by the way, was written just before he comes back to Jerusalem. And how do we know that? Well, if you turn to the Romans chapter 15, if you want to, there's no need to. I'm just going to read a few verses. But in Romans 15, he's talking about his visit, um, talking about his visit uh, to Jerusalem. And Paul's got plans. I'll read from verse 23. He says, but, um, so he's writing this from uh, Corinth, I think. He says, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. He feels he's done all that he can do in these areas. And since I've been longing for many years to see you, that's the people in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Not for a holiday either. Um, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul himself has got plans of what he really wants wants to happen. But verse 25, now, however... I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. That's what we've been talking about. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased, those are areas, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. So Paul here is writing about going to Jerusalem. And in verse 31 he says, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together we be refreshed. 
So he knows there's a risk. He's saying, pray that I'll be rescued from the unbelievers there. He knows that when he gets there. And of course, we know from even more recently in Acts, the risk now has been amplified. Because people have told him, as he's traveling to Jerusalem, people have told him that when you get to Jerusalem, God's Spirit is telling me that you're going to have real problems. And the last of these guys was a prophet called Agabus. And he comes up to Paul and he takes off Paul's belt and he wraps that belt around his wrists. And he says, Paul, the man who owns this belt, that's the way he's going to be treated when he gets going to be to Jerusalem. And Paul says... Even if that's the case, and even if I'm going to die in Jerusalem, I'm still going to go there. Why? Because he knew that whatever he did, he must do what God wanted him to do. And he knew that God would be with him in those situations. He'd planned that to be the case in the past, and he knew that would be true in the, late, in the future. God has plans and purposes And Paul is part of those plans and purposes. I want to read you in closing the last, what Paul writes. Right at the end of his life, in in his letter to to, um, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are the the last recorded words that we have of Paul. And now he's writing these You know, this is from his second imprisonment in Rome. Um, And this is what he writes. He says, at my first defense, that's in his trial that's going on in Rome, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory and to him be glory forever and ever. Paul knew that God's plans and purposes were far bigger than he could ever imagine. And they weren't just plans and purposes for this life, this age, but for the life and the age to come. And he was going to stick, he, he, and he knew God could be trusted. What about us? Do we have a part in God's purposes? Do our lives have meaning as being part of those purposes? To do so, we need to recognize some things that we've touched on in our service this morning. First of all, we can't earn our way to God. We can't live like Paul's life before he became a Christian was exemplary. I'm sure in every respect. There's none of us here in this room, I would think, live the sort of good life that Paul lived. And yet he had to realize that that was not sufficient. He could not come to God that way. He needed to, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and he needed to recognize who Jesus was. That Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And he needed to come t- to God, the Father, through him. And he did that. He did that through Jesus giving his life on the cross that made the way open for all people. So now that those Gentiles who couldn't get into the next court 
and, and all those people who couldn't get into the most holy place could now have access to the Father through Jesus, through repentance and turning away and recognize that our lives are in his hands, that when we commit our lives to him, that we belong to him and that he can be trusted. I pray that we might want to know God's purposes for us as individuals and as a church and that we do that through the Lord Jesus Christ, through repentance, turning away from our sin and putting our trust and faith in him. Let's just be quiet and pray together. Father, we thank you that you that your love is great as we were reminded earlier your love is great and towards all of us but lord that we need to respond to you and to your love for us we need to recognize that your grace comes free to us but was bought at great cost through the blood of the lord jesus christ and that lord we need to recognize that Recognize our need of you and our need of forgiveness that you so freely offer towards us, to us. Lord, may, may that be true. May we not just hear your words and let them bounce off us, but Lord, may we respond in our hearts. And Lord, may we know the joy of being part of your plans and your purposes that will run right through this life and right through into the age to come. We ask it for your glory. Amen.